Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Young frequencies are open. You got your growly face on. Discovery, Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for episode 401, Kobayashi Maru, comes to you now via World Root Saptap. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, as I'm sure many listeners know, uh, it was just literally in the last week that uh, Paramount Plus and uh, Netflix amended their agreement, which very quickly, same day apparently, took all Star Trek uh, off of Netflix internationally, particularly all the past episodes of Star Trek Discovery, leading to a stalling of the international release uh, for Discovery Season 4 ahead of Paramount Plus having a, a march across Europe and a march across the world sometime in 2022. Not cool, Paramount Plus. And Matt, that you have the showrunner of Star Trek Discovery, that you have several members of its cast at all levels. It's not like, you know... The guy in the background that does this on the bridge is like, oh, that's really uncool. And also follow me on Twitter. No, they're all criticizing it because it's dumb. And look, now we are all united in experiencing the business end of Paramount+. Plus. Pete, I think back to the early uh, convention experiences that we were at for Star Trek Discovery. Multiple you know, panels, multiple years uh, essentially complaining over the need to pay for this show. And you and I have both ultimately defended that as a practice. And I think that part of the reason why we are going to have in 2022 um, part of Discovery Season 4 and Picard and Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks uh, and Prodigy all happening in 2022, part of that is because we have voted with our dollars and we have said this this thing called modern Star Trek and all its different iterations is a product worth growing. That said, had this been announced six months ago, all right, our friends in the international uh, mm-hmm. markets could have adjusted expectations accordingly. Yeah. Uh, to use a line from our very first Star Trek Discovery uh, convention that we went to, a uh, panel that we went to. The fact that it was you know, same week, the fact that it was announced with like, Hey, at midnight tonight, it all disappears from Netflix. So before. Yeah. Uncool. Okay. And again, we want to welcome all our Orion. I mean, international listeners. Yeah. I mean, look, let's, let's, let's say what it is. Okay. Some people will pirate discovery season four. I think Pete, you and I both say, You know, it's okay to pay for your content. Uh, Pete, I feel like it's not quite Orion Pirates. If you live internationally and you you get a VPN thing and then you get a, you know, Paramount Plus uh, subscription, I think maybe that's a little bit more honest or you want to wait for that Paramount Plus rollout. Or if you're listening to us at a nebulous date in which Paramount Plus comes to Europe, which again is also uncool. Like if you sit and go, hey, fans, just got to wait until March 15th. Okay, that's that stinks, but at least you can say, "All right, I'm going to have my I'm going to have my Star Trek uh my Star Trek day party with all my friends in Hamburg 
we're all going to come together and you know have uh, have our little have our little viewing thing. No, instead it's just this big question mark. But Pete, we will all be together as one fleet soon enough. The business end choking out the creative end, which Matt, for the first time in 22 years, we had two episodes of first run Star Trek airing on the same day and it'll also be the last time until maybe next year yeah like they were they paramount plus the star trek pr folks and so forth they were so proud to get that info out there and then to pull it back because prodigy is going on a mid-season hiatus i mean pete it suggests to me that they could not meet they the prodigy people perhaps through no fault of their own slow down due to covid etc they could not meet the delivery date for all 10 episodes consecutively. I, that's one takeaway. Another takeaway is, I mean, I doubt this was the plan the whole time, but if this is like, hey, we've gotten info from Prodigy and viewing habits and whatnot, the second half of Prodigy will be a good um, subscription bridge between the one show and the next show. You know, again, that's a business decision. That's a, that's a, that's a choice. We can agree, we can disagree, but that's a choice. But, Again, it's this sneaky, you know, sneaky maneuvers by, you know, by, by Paramount Plus. And again, congrats, all international listeners. Congrats, you know, listeners in the United States and Canada. We're all united in this weird practice that is that is the business end of Star Trek. So, hey, Matt, how did you enjoy the virtual premiere of Star Trek Discovery Season 4? Um, well, first of all, I was... I felt really lucky to get uh, an email invite. Unfortunately, the the information about it came so quickly. I mean, I had filled out the thing weeks and weeks ago, and then to be told, hey, it's happening tomorrow night. Uh, okay, it just so happened I had family plans that night, and I thought I was going to be able to make it home in time, but can't tell a family member, hey, I'm leaving your birthday dinner early in order to go watch watch a Star's Trek. Um, as much as I wanted to. With a seven-hour lead time, by the way. I, you know, Pete, I didn't, re I didn't recognize it was that little, and that's, again, this is like a self-inflicted bungling here where if it, if it had been this exciting thing, we're weeks out, okay, hey, can we reschedule? Or, hey, you know, Pete, I got the thing. Uh, I got the invite thing. Should, should I, you know, is there somebody I could forward my thing to since I won't be able to make it for sure? Instead, it's this kind of last-minute thing where I'd like to do it and i can't and then i didn't but pete how was it for you it was a stream i couldn't pause uh which is not always the same with screeners and uh i got a package in the mail yesterday and it was a pin oh okay i know that when i had signed up i had I had to give my address. And I was like, all right, I didn't go to the thing. Maybe I don't. I guess I'm a little surprised it was just a pin. Although, Pete, I do have the uh, Picard visitor badge pin that we got at New York Comic Con. Um, Infinitely the... better. Okay. So, can we say It is a pin of the captain's chair. Does it even say? Let me look here. Uh, does it even say Discovery? It does. It says Star Trek Discovery. Uh, oh, okay free thing um whatever man like i don't know i i'm opening it up and the minute i see 
you know, so the address outside did not say Star Trek or Paramount or anything like that. And I'm like, who is this from? Open it up. Uh, and I feel like a pin case. I'm like, oh, it's my Starfleet communicator badge, you know, from attending their, their whole shtick with the virtual premiere was, you know, you were uh, members of the new class of Starfleet Academy. Okay. I'm like, here comes my randomly chosen division badge. Little pin of the captain's chair. Okay. Free thing. Whatever. Well, Pete, this much is sure. It's time for the mission briefing. USS Discovery jumps in and Cleveland Book Booker's still unnamed ship. That's the Centennial Bird. If your team Matt, it's the Eon Eagle. If your team Pete exits the main shuttle bay and rearranges itself as it curls towards a planet with a system of dormant satellites encircling it. On the night side of the planet, a bioluminescent moth chitters as it pushes out its cocoon and flies over a chasm where Captain Michael Burnham expresses her honor at being the planet's first visitors since the burn. She and Book have been sent to convey the United Federation of Planets desire to reconnect with their civilization and raise the possibility of sharing resources. Discovery has brought dilithium to offer as they've done to others, no strings attached, yet their albino hosts seem skeptical. Really great camera work here uh, and a digital component to the camera work here and effects component. When we see those unique alien butterfly moth things, it's rather close up than it flies away and they're able to do a focus pull to reveal Burnham and Book on the one side of the chasm and the Emperor and the other folks on the other. Um, just a nice reveal, a nice use of, you know, effects and editing together pieces and, and things of that sort. Also, Pete, just have to have to mention, um, just because of where they had the meeting, good job on them staying socially distanced, you know? There's no big right. wooden table or whatnot. I, I think, I mean, I'm half joking, half serious. It'll be interesting to watch for little things like that in this yeah. season produced during um that was starting to be produced in a pre-vaccination covid world let alone all the other you know covid protocols and whatnot you know it's like i see you production design well done coming up with a natural way to say here's all the bunch of one people who went to hair and makeup together here's the other two that went to hair and makeup separately here they are together but separate um the unnamed thus far uh, gentleman who Pete, I will call Emperor Butterfly Man. Uh, he scoffs at the offer of a no-strings-attached deal. Uh, surely, he says, you're here to take all our good stuff after you give us some stuff. Burnham notes that the relationship with the Federation uh, was strained in the past. He, the Emperor, remains dubious. Also, scans reveal that there's a third life form brought uh, down from up above. It is, of course, Grudge. Uh, the domestic cannibal pet, uh, all of which is a big no-no for the butterfly people. Only gets worse when it's revealed uh, that Grudge has a bad attitude, is not grateful, um, is a pet, 
and uh, is a queen. Uh, Pete, I love the wordplay here. How do they? How do they um, respond to the idea of a monarch being held captive? This full-on diplomatic incident. Now, uh, love the moths being part of their tech and uh, giving them wings and even you know masks as they chase here Emperor Liu and his court. Uh, Chase Burnham and Book, who leap off a cliff into a small ship that uh, forms around them. Burnham wants to fire. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Book wants to fire, but Burnham forbids it. Again, this diplomatic mission, even though it's gone sideways, she still wants to gift them the uh, dilithium and wonders why they haven't been able to hit them. Has Reese, who is in the con there on Discovery, check why they're having difficulty doing this. Uh, and it's because the Alshane, this species, uh, seem to be having trouble navigating because of their satellites, which we find out here are out of dilithium. And we get Tilly, Stamets, and Adira working the problem here. Adira knows that the planet's magnetic poles began shifting 300 years ago. They use the Alshane, those uh, poles, to uh, navigate uh, like birds. Matt, did you know that birds have a substance called magnetite in their beaks that allows them to find true north and gravity and such and... I'm sure we're going to come back to that later. Well, Pete, I like that we get some science in our science fiction. I guess I kind of knew it, but, it, you know, again, that's a real thing. And uh, we get some, you know, we kind of get our, our, our little uh, little lesson here. Uh, Burnham orders the dot robots to be sent out to fuel up uh, all the satellites with dilithium. Uh, they do, uh, perhaps in rapid succession. But you know what? This is clearly a pre-title sequence a la James Bond. We have a mini mission here, a mini Starfleet mission. Uh, Pete, the dots moving fast. Uh, even with the satellites firing up, uh, the Alshane are themselves still firing at Burnham and Book uh, as they, Burnham and Book, step off a cliff. It's actually the second cliff in the episode. Um, they end up on top of uh, Book's cloaked ship, also known as Book's The Ship, coming... <laughs> Early next it year. A, you, no, 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 no. You were Centennial Bird. Okay. Well, you can't give it another ship, which would be BTS. Well, Pete, that's because I have an important update. Okay. The um, uh, Eagle Moss is coming out with a model of it, and it's called Book Ship, <laughs> which I understand is the Eagle Moss name for it, not the official name, blah, blah, blah. But I just had to mention, you know, Books the Ship or Book Ship. Uh, <laughs> You know, again, Eagle Moss, not top-level official, but, you know, got to name it something. Uh, love the the story effect. I mean, the digital effects are great, but the story effect of Burnham and Book are on top of the ship, then they beam into it. Again, it's kind of like, Pete, I spent the last, I mean, I'm not, you know, 55 years old, but I've spent my entire Star Trek life with a certain expectation of how transporters work in a story, and the fact that in the 32nd century, it's, you know, broom, broom, top of the ship into the bridge. And there's kind of that 
faster pace to it. It's a, it's a reminder that we have fiction in our science fiction, that we could be using this technology to move the story along um, just as they have beamed into the bridge uh, of the ship, or I guess it's a bridge, control area, whatever it is. They beam out some dilithium to the Emperor, uh, who looks surprised. Uh, love the little detail there of book petting grudge in defiance. Pete, if his one hand wasn't controlling the ship and the other hand petting <laughs> grudge, if he had a third one, I think that he might be telling the emperor that he's a number one with a particular finger, if you know what I mean. Safely on board, uh, Lieutenant Christopher reports to Burnham, the emperor is hailing them and asks why they still gave him thy lithium despite their unpleasant visit. Burnham replies, because they're the Federation, and if they need anything, they're there. No strings attached. Mission over. Uh, that was a hell of a thing, says Burnham. Let's fly. And Pete, look, I haven't even looked. Okay, I don't need to look. I'm sure there's someone crying on social media that this was like, you know, a, a James Bond pre-title sequence. Guess what? We know from Discovery that usually there are these longer story arcs and we tend not to get Mission of the Week type stuff. If this is our only Mission of the Week, come in, have a miscommunication, work it out in the Star Trek fashion, help somebody out, explain to them we help because we help. Um, that's that's fantastic. Um, and if that's the only one we get this season because we're going to be fighting the larger Graviton thing, that's okay. Uh, we head to the credits, with uh, which include a new look at the new Discovery, uh, the return of our regular regulars. Joining them is uh, Blue Del Barrio and Dave DeJala and Pete producer, Sonequa Martin-Green. The episode is written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lumet, and Alex Kurtzman, directed by Oatundi Ansansami. Anything else jump out at you from the credits? Underwater Kaminarin Council, Matt. Kelpian and Baul members debate the Federation's gift of dilithium, uh, whether it should take them back to the stars or it should just benefit the daily lives of the people on their planet. Sukal says that the burn cannot happen again now that he has left the dilithium planet. But Pete, Pete, can I believe that? I mean, I'm concerned that that's going to be a season four story arc. Can you tell me more to make me clear that that's just a story, a season three story? Well, Great Elder <gasps> Saru <gasps> confirms that, although stay tuned. I'm not sold on that. I'm not sold. There's not some connection between the burn and this gravitational distortion anomaly threat anyway uh saru marvels what he's seen in the five months on kaminar several times we're told in this episode five months have passed uh and he stresses to the people of kaminar the interconnectedness not only of their reunited homeworld but their solar system of six other planets in an entire galaxy uh, all this done, Matt, all this filmed where? Uh, this was filmed in their brand new uh, LED panel space. Uh, you you uh, told me off mic that it has a, has a special filming name. I just want to point out that 
this is a very good use of an LED background. Um, yeah. the, the water, the the baul, the council, or the, the the observers to the council meeting. I think here's the difference, Pete. Not a lot of camera movement. It's okay if they don't have an LED panel space the way Star Wars does. It really, really is okay because it was um, Industrial Light and Magic that developed that. So, of course, they're ahead. I don't think they have the moving camera parallax thing happening yet. And that's all okay because this is a great set, digital and so forth. This is a great scene. This is a great use of it to get the water people and the land people and the audience people when you can't have no audience and no water people. It's all a great use, even if it's not you know, Mandalorian level yet. This hollow deck, as they're calling it here, interested to see how it's going to be utilized the rest of the season. We used it obviously in the scene. They use it in the Starfleet Academy reopening scene. Really the only two that would call for something of that scope. But back aboard Discovery, Burnham is in a dress uniform while Book is off to his nephew's IQ Zen ceremony where a boy becomes a man on Quajon. She is set to introduce the president of the United Federation of Planets as Starfleet Academy will reopen for the first time in 125 years. Burnham says that President Rillac is using this moment, which should be about the cadets and the people who brought the Academy back. Book is sorry that Saru is not there to see her moment here, but Burnham says he will return when he is ready and she'll join book on Quay John. Um, but not really because we've seen the end of the episode. Pete, I almost feel like, uh, this is a this is a season premiere kind of scene, uh, you know, because otherwise, don't we all sit and go, hey, hey, co-worker, how is child name and how is where how I haven't seen your friend in a while. Will you be do you miss your friend? I do miss my friend. I mean, look, Pete, first of all, I'm, I'm not really being critical. This is a season premiere. They need to have some sort of, you know, catch up and reminder. You got to set it up. That's fine. Absolutely. I just want to point out that this is the, this is the um, burden that the writer of a season premiere or, or obviously a, a series premiere, um, the burden that they have to cover because in the real world, we don't sit and go, why Pete, it has been low these five months since we uh, podcasted a Star Trek and and Pete, how is your wife name and how is your dog name? Like, it, it it is what it is. I'm just pointing out some of the craft behind it because I don't. Here's the flip side, Pete. I don't know that it screams out as this is expositional catch up for people who haven't seen Discovery since the last season. It just it it flows as far as one can get this to flow. Right. I mean, there's a cumbersome nature of of the catch up. Discovery jumps to Federation headquarters where Burnham explains that last year it was cloaked and there were just 38 member worlds, but now they have 59 member worlds and the cloaking shield is nearly gone because there's no more reason to hide. Uh, she then introduces the new president of the Federation. That's Laura Rillac, who acknowledges that what is going on today, the reopening of Starfleet Academy would not be possible while, without Discovery and her crew. 
And because of them, they now have a vast supply of dilithium to distribute to distant worlds, and they're reestablishing peaceful relations with planets that were antagonizing members only five months beforehand. They've learned from the past, they've developed new technology to reduce their dependence on dilithium and rebuild the fleet, and then cadets are shown the newly constructed Archer space dock that will both help the fleet upgrade as well as construct the next generation of starships. Again, a lot going on in this scene in terms of um, teeing up where we are at. Have to point out, Pete, that the uh, the twenty or so Starfleet cadets, Pete, they are so respectful that they stand in a socially respectful distance <laughs> from each other. Um, uh, you you have to do it. I mean, social distance, Matt. You know, nine hundred thirty years from the twenty third century, we 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 still need it. We still need our our space. Well, it's the final frontier, I'm told. And Pete, I would add to it. I mean, look. Clearly, the Academy is restarting in a modest way, and that's okay. Okay, you grow it from there. It's a big old space that they're in. They gotta have them, you know, stretch out a little bit so it kind of, you know, it fills this big, this big hall a bit better. Uh, have to mention as well. I love that the core Discovery crew is looking on these new gray dress uniforms. Look fantastic. I mean, I just think Pete, the season one costumes were so great. Then you bring in the you know, the, the, the Pike's Enterprise um, take of that style, and those looked great. You know, I mean, I mean, how has this show not won an Emmy yet? Yeah, Bersha uh, Phillips, the uh, costume designer, does a phenomenal job. Uh, she's actually doing the uh, costuming for the um, Viola Davis. Um, it, it's essentially... A, an African queen Braveheart uh, story oh, wow. that they're telling um, that uh, John Boyega will also star in, and that will I'm sure be phenomenal. Um, but yeah, you know that, that four seasons in that we've seen a couple different costuming looks. They give uh Sinequa Martin green, you know, the, the leather, you know, away uniform that just she has in this episode and now this you know crimson ish dress uh uniform here it's great that they're exploring these other looks um and at the reception afterward admiral vance is showing his wife and daughter around uh, Lieutenant Christopher, this new crew member to Discovery, we learned he was covering for uh, the comms officer, Bryce, who was consulting on the Curry. And then Lieutenant Tilly is off alone, uh, and she's watching the cadets, which she tells Burnham feels like a thousand years ago and yesterday. And then Lieutenant Willa, Matt, we, we check in with a lot of our characters from last season interrupts to say that the admiral needs to speak to captain burnham it's a reminder of how rich this 32nd century star trek world is um i don't know if the introduction of the archer space dock and things mentioned later on in terms of using the, the latest iteration of voyager and you know 
we'll talk it about seemed that. like voyager was in there yeah oh it definitely when we get to voyager uh, j yeah. not not <laughs> janeway's voyager we want to be very clear yeah i mean in fact when we get the establishing shot for uh for federation hq uh i'm sure it's meant to be voyager flying by close to the camera you know it, Pete, it gives the sense like let me this way there, there has been no announcement nor at least rumors that i've heard of like ooh, another star trek spinoff that takes place in the 32nd century uh i can think of some cons against that <laughs> c-o-n-s um but it feels like it's this expansion of the universe, even if it's just setting up, you know, and the comic series, the book series, the audio series, whatever it is that might be a Voyager um, thing or an Archer space dock thing. Uh, Tilly it, eventually becoming captain of Voyager when she gets her captaincy in season five or six. <laughs> well, yeah, well, she does get, uh, 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 she, she does rank up each each uh, <laughs> season, give or take. But, but I digress, Pete. Um, we have all this interrupted by a distress call from a deep space station. Uh, the station was impacted by something mysterious. Many systems are offline. Um, Admiral Vance tells uh, Burnham to take Discovery, jump to the uh, station, diagnose the problem, and fix it. President Rillick uh, says she'd like to go along. She's not going to take no for an answer. Um, it's an interesting story flare that apparently this is Rillick's right to be on the ship. So I guess it's kind of more the American style commander in chief um, nature, uh, which was kind of new to me for the organization chart for Starfleet. Although Pete, it's a 32nd century. Many things might've changed, but here's my question to you, Pete. I know we all do respect to Gene Roddenberry, especially TNG season one. There will be no conflict amongst Starfleet people and how that was so difficult to write. Um, we're not even Starfleet Federation people can't have conflict with each other because they worked that all out. Here's my question to you, Pete. Is it within the Star Trek mission statement to have these two powerful women automatically going head to head? Because we, I mean, we don't have a bad read on Rillick here later on. We don't have a bad read on Rillick. I'm also, you know, hashtag team Burnham in terms of all of that, but here we are, you know, we're 15 minutes into the episode or whatever, and it's like, yeah, women in power fight each other for power. Is that what the show is telling us? I mean, the adversarial setup does pay off come the discussion of the title after the gravitational anomaly hits. This idea, and it's from the start on Burnham, this pathological need for her to attempt to save everyone. Not a bad thing, but a president here. And interestingly, Matt, a new president already comfortable with the idea that you can't fix everything. Uh, so an interesting aspect that she's not as idealistic as Burnham, though new to the office. Uh, but they are going to head to Deep Space Repair Beta 6. I don't think we'll ever see that as a spinoff. <laughs> Star Trek Deep Space Repair Beta 6. Uh, and uh, Captain Nautilus is definitely not going to lead that one. He's not going to be our first ever non-human captain of a series. Uh, but Vance is sending them uh, to that. Um, he also tells Burnham, despite her 
reluctance to bring the president, the danger that it could potentially present to the president, to the rest of the crew, that she's trying to tick off a box, say she's seen action, but Vance says that it's a delicate time uh, as the Federation is regrowing, that politicians can be powerful tools, and that the president, she don't really need your permission. But hey, he's late to dinner. Give the admiral's best to Mr. Booker, won't you? On the bridge of the discovery. No worries, everybody. It's the president. We're still going to do standard protocols. Uh, Pete, uh, the woman who I like to call Potoff, you know, POTUS, but Potoff, um, the president of the Federation, um, is kindly. Wouldn't it be Potoof, president of the United Federation of Planets? Uh, you know what, Pete? It, I don't want to suggest that I hadn't just looked back on the previous paragraph to call her President Rillick, but maybe I'll just call her President Rillick rolling on here. Lara to some, but I will call her uh, by the title at the office, uh, you know, with the respect that the office requires. Uh, President Rillick is kind of kindly, it's kindly recommended to her to hold tight for the jump. Also a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, you know, I'm I'm uh, Captain Burnham and I know the ways and you don't. Uh, we see that after the jump, Rillick, did not need to hold tight. Um, she's she's just fine. Because uh, uh, she flew cargo ships for her father back in the day. Um, so true. So true. Um, the Discovery quickly finds the station. It's wildly spinning. Uh, yellow alert is declared. And they start to investigate. Pete, we've had all this star trekking and all this ship stuff and whatnot. Can you take us to beautiful Quajon? On Quajon... Kaim takes his son Lido and uh, Book to a big tree here. We'll have explained as the world root in just a moment. Book has not seen it since he became a member of the pack, as Lido is becoming today. And Kaim gives Book a ceremonial knife to do the honors here in the IQ Zen ceremony um explains that the world root can feel warm that's the chain of a million hands that young leto is feeling there uh and as he does it's a reminder to uh remember um and that the universe is unknowable oh that might come back around uh, and that Leto is now part of a chain that goes back unbroken. The root system reaches all the way around Quajon. Kaim opens the old sap tap there. Uh, this world root is their heart, and the sap in the amulet that his father wears, uh, they're going to add their family's blood to it. Today, Leto gets his own it's something you never take off. But, but, Uncle, why aren't you wearing yours? Uh, we're told that's a story for another time. Pete, another episode, me... Matt. It's a story for another episode. Well, or next, next time. Pete, let me pitch on, Star on Trek something. Discovery. Because we also don't know the origin. I mean, we know there was a man named Cleveland Booker that Book has renamed himself to to honor him. Pete, I'd like to pitch you 
on a publishing opportunity. Okay, let's let's regrow. Wait, 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 wait. Book the ship. Book the book. How about this, book Pete? The flamethrower. Uh, here's what I want: pocket books to put together, or whoever the pocket book. Po- the book. Pete, here's what it could be called: the book, the book of Cleveland book booker. Okay, it's right there. It's the secret past of Cleveland book booker and the man who helped uh, change the destiny of Cleveland book booker. And that man's name was Cleveland Booker. It'll, I'm My telling you, laptop case is made by a company. I'm not going to mention the company because they don't compensate us. Uh, but it's called. It it's made in the form of a uh, leather bound book. And you hold it sideways, and it's called Book Book. Oh, well, there you go. Um, we are also seeing here, Pete, we're seeing a little Leto, okay? And look, much respect here, but I'm just going to tell you something I noticed on the second view, okay? They kept cutting away from Leto. I'm reminded of how, in the filming of Star Trek Four, there was a uh, Sulu ancestor played by a little boy who just kind of wasn't having a good day on set and they ended up scrapping the scene because the boy as a young child wasn't ready to you know three two one in action and all that i'm thinking maybe this young man was having a rough day on the shoot they got the best but uncle book from him and then quick cutaway when when whatever okay slow Not... mo cutaway yes uh, go however... play with your friends kitty <laughs> with that the birds are all upset trouble is afoot and pete darned if they don't take this moment of tension and take us on back to the station okay where it's uh spinning wildly they replay the call from commander nollis thank goodness pete they watch it on the screen in like full imax presentation (laughs) and not just the the hollow guy presentation pete what what is that in the background pete can you tell me more some form of gravitational distortion on that view screen here's a technical question matt are the hollow view screens done via the uh volume holodeck uh cameras do do they have those i'm kidding of course they're not actually using those cameras in universe but just just thinking you know how the um the art obviously has influenced the the technology uh Nalus, uh is brought up in real time uh explains that something hit them and all 10 of the people on the space station are in the main control room life support is gone everywhere else it's uh an earth expression for bad uh here's an uh a Kazanom expression because their Q nodes are squiddled and they need to be replaced. Could you please send some engineers with programmable matter? Tilly says she can do it, but Adira grew up using this tech. Burnham wants them to come up and Tilly to escort them over to deep space beta six, where they will fix the station uh, that is, of course, if Detmer can match speed and location. No problem there for Kayla, of course, my my favorite bridge officer at Star Trek Discovery. Uh, with Adira coming, it was the right answer, but 
it's not like Matt's never failed a trivia question before. Uh, Pete, these are all great. I mean, I mean, genuinely, you know, little, little tangent here. It, this is a genuinely great supporting cast that they've pulled from these Canadian actors. Um, it's a reminder, you know, if you if you dare cast a casting net outside of, you know, uh, New York or Los Angeles, you can still come up with amazing people. Um, Adira comes to the bridge. We get a check in with Gray, who, Pete, I'm a little confused as to whether the show wants me to expect Gray will get an actual body at some point wink wink is there any dialogue to give me any sort of direction in this the only scene with gray in this episode there is <gasps> when gray incorporates you know gets a body uh as the most confident person that adira knows of course uh will do a great job and, and join the crew matt are you following uh star trek logs on Instagram. No, I know they were doing it for lower decks and I kind of felt like this it is goes more... back further than lower decks. Uh, was it discovery season three? Cause and I remember, I, I, I think I, I remember coming to and saw some discovery season three. My point is this, there were no fewer than three discovery season four already there was one by book there was one by uh dr culver there was one uh done um the the one about dr culver is specifically about gray uh there was one by saru are they uh, i will say vital i know that it's not you know stuff they're that's... not but i find well one so the three of them were available shortly before this episode um and uh the the gray stuff you know culber specifically mentions the difficulties of you know trying to make a body for gray um which is fine you know you want to do supplemental stuff or even matt like hey this is stuff that in the 55 minute cut of this season premiere we decided we're, we're gonna hold back let's turn it into a quick audio extra oh we'll put it up on the instagram yeah i think though i was a bit um dismissive of it uh the couple i heard during discovery season three in part because i just felt like it was like book going oh man i'm in my ship and i i'm flying my ship and i hope michael is okay like it kind of felt so does he call his ship in the uh the log his my the ship he may uh <laughs> let me let me do this way, Pete. it sounds like for this discovery season four set that's out so far it sounds like um it sounds like it's more um uh, important again not important like oh man now i actually understand what's going on but it, it sounds like it's a little bit more authentic how about that versus like we need you to say some stuff you know for the social media but we can't write a thing that's too much so just sit and go boy michael burnham what a great lady she is i hope she gets back from her mission soon you go okay well what was that that was a waste of time versus this sounds a little bit better the sound you know if, if it's providing any extension of the universe that's that's a good use of all of that as a uh, as a tool and a synchronous orbit achieved um 
Tilly and Adira beam over to an upside down control room. And Pete, I have a theory about this physical space, about this set. Okay. It kind of has a um, retro futuristic look to it that I think huh. here's my theory. Are you, are, are you saying they were enterprising already? I think that this is a swing set for Strange New Worlds, that this is the this is the set that is going to be the mess hall slash maybe not, you know, briefing room, but mess hall slash meeting room slash wedding chapel slash et cetera. Um, it just had that look to it. And some yeah. of the panels had that again, it was not classic track, but had that Pike's Enterprise. How'd they retro. flip it upside down? Uh Pete, listen, I'll let you in on Gravity? a little I'll let you in on a little secret here, okay? Uh, Olatundi Ansunsanmi is a really smart guy. And what I think he did was he said, you, camera operator, activate your gravity boots. And when that didn't work, I think they were like, wait, what if we put the camera upside down? Although I will say this, Pete, joking aside, it reminded me. things on the roof, though. Well, it reminded me of the third Matrix movie that I think, I think that's the one that has the upside down battle that just looked like they put the camera upside down. The way Olentundi Ansansami places the camera here, yes, it's upside down, right? Um, the way it's placed, it looks like they are upside down. Like there was a very careful decision to not just go upside down, up, upside down and shoot it normally. I think they were aware, like, we need to just keep, we need to have it slightly, we need to have the camera placed so we are framing the real ground and our characters are on the ceiling, which is different than the other way around, if that makes sense. I think there's some really thoughtful camera placement to help sell this space. Uh, with Tilly and Adira over there, they note that Nalus is a little overprotective. Um, we get this thruster montage flips back and forth between the exterior of the ship and the station and them doing repairs as they're moving towards fixing the station Tilly says she needs about 45 minutes to fix life support and sensors once they've stopped the spinning but commander Reese notes that there is incoming debris of some kind Awoshikun says it is frozen methane uh discovery extends its shields over the station uh from what is some sort of Ort cloud with methane ice. Uh, they have about 15 minutes worth of shields here. And Burnham tells Tilly this is now a rescue mission. Um, the effect, which appeared practical, uh, the effect of flames kind of firing uh, into the Discovery Bridge, it looked phenomenal. If it's fake, then it's fantastic. Uh, I think, Pete, even here in 2021, fire is still one of the more difficult things to do. Um, it occurred to me maybe in the significant downtime, they actually outfitted the set with, you know, a gas flame sprayer, and we're going to, you know, do whatever to prevent burning the set down, like, you know, fireproof paint or whatever it is that one does. It looked really, really good. Um, within the story, can they beam everyone back? Pete Stamets, who in this episode is largely uh, contained to engineering as he runs around and pushes buttons and says, tech, tech, tech. Uh, he reports that the Heisenberg compensator is blown. 
Um, that means the beaming them out is impossible. And as you know, Pete, without having the Heisenberg compensator, you can't properly uh, know the direction and speed of the electrons. So therefore, you can't you can't dematerialize and rematerialize. Um, at the station, they decide that they're going to use the escape pod. It can be reprogrammed to you know do two trips, not just one. Um, but something is blocking the door, and that leads Commander Nallis to once again be ready to dive on into a suicide mission. Yes, drawing a phaser here on Tilly, because uh, he wants to climb to another deck without life support, and we've noted there are no EV suits, so obviously they're going to die. Um, Adira reports to uh, Burnham here. But uh, the president begins looking something up as this is going down. Uh, we're told that the dots can't remove the debris. Burnham is going to hop in a worker bee. And the president questions uh, that that might not be the best use of her energy, despite having logged the most EV hours of anybody on the crew, which takes us to Kaminar. Indeed. Uh, Saru notes that choice is necessary. Pete, choice of Star Trek shows, perhaps looking ahead, never stuck on old reruns, which are now exclusively available on Paramount Plus. Uh, there will always be those who fear what they don't understand. But here on this Star Trek, love and balance is possible. Welcome, fans. Welcome, Sue Call. Welcome all to the Star Trek ethos. He says that Saru need not worry about him. We've checked before the science that another burn will not happen because he's not at the lithium planet, uh, that he is safe, that he is loved, he is happy. He has the father and friend figure, obviously, of Saru, but he has others now, and that he says that Saru's heart can be there and out there simultaneously. So take us back to the station. Uh, Discovery, leaving Discovery, uh, rather, Burnham is piloting the sweetest worker bee ever. Uh, she's clearing pieces this way and that. Uh, and it's funny because the way the camera placement was, uh, as I was watching it for the first time, I was like, this reminds me of the scene in discovery 201 where uh what's his name the the, the fourth guy that doesn't make the uh the connors uh, connors yes where it's like you can kind of th mansplaining the, yeah yeah where he's mansplaining and you kind of have long enough to just be like is that rock coming to boom and it hits which yeah. also pete reminds me of a shot in battlestar galactica i want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of like 208 where a similar thing happens there uh somebody's flying a ship uh, and it gets hit by debris, and you can see it coming. My point is this, Pete. It's a really awesome use of all your assets, your set, your actor, your writing, your visual effects, for we, the audience, to have this view where you go, and then there's space out the window. Oh, wait, I am registering the space car, you know, coming about to hit this car, whether it's the asteroid, the rock, the ship, whatever it is. Um, Pete. I don't want to say that what then happens is gratuitous. How about this? It's just a great style flourish. The sound okay. drops out. Dramatic slow motion. Not hearing anybody saying, you know, oh, no, or captain, or things like that. Um, 
And then again, the sci-fi flourish of the EV suit automatically snapping into action there. Uh, you know, again, it's a reminder, this is a different, uh, this is a different type of Star Trek, not just, you know, 21st century and not just, you know, post Game of Thrones, but like they can use technology in a way and they can use special effects in a way to have a great scene like this and not be like, oh no, they're about to freeze to death. It's just, of course, there's an EV suit ready to spring into action in less than a second. We find out from Stamets that Discovery Shields are down to 25%, and given that they are covering the station, they're maxed out. Rillick talks Nalus down about seeing his beautiful world again with its freshwater oceans, and it's the fissure of Jorat, which will be called into question later on was this politics as usual or was this you know glad handing of a potential constituent uh most akazanam don't even know the fissure matt uh burnham in just the av suit now here clearing the debris but not everybody's going to make it in one trip and um she opens up a channel via Lieutenant Christopher here to the president. Did the president lie to Nalus or has she really been to his planet? She asks if it even matters. Which, again, I'm not saying, hey, this episode is undoing all the progressive Star Trek cred and so forth. But what did Nalus need to what did Nalus need to hear? He needed to hear, don't do the suicide mission. Think, you know, think of life. Think of what you're working for. It doesn't, it really, it genuinely doesn't make any difference whether Rillick used space Wikipedia and just read from the article uh, without proper citation or not. Like what now? I mean, they're needed... setting up tension. We, we get it. They are, but it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, Let's see how this tension develops. How about that, Pete? Back on the bridge, by the way, um, uh, the president questions Burnham's choices in cutting the odds to rescue the rest of the station's crew. Um, here, I here, Pete, is where I would buy the tension more so because now that we have previously established that there is uh, vaguely some sort of commander-in-chief aspect to the Federation president's uh, powers... It's this notion of, you know, is the president questioning Burnham's uh, failings or mistakes to a point that she's being pulled? And Burnham asks that. If not, then she's got a job to do. So that does place, I think, that's some interesting tension between the two of them. To Quajon, where Book aboard the book ship uh, above the planet is uh, looking for what spooked the birds it was not in the forest and Kaim tells him to come back. They're about ready to eat dinner. Uh, when the birds bodies begin to descend, hitting the book, um, the book ship. <laughs> Maybe that's the name of it. We can have a third name. It's the book. The book's book. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, the, the gravity, no pun intended here of this scene book noting the distortion coming 
and telling Kaim to take Lido and get someplace safe before we witness Quajon's moon being shredded by this distortion. Back to the station we go. Uh, Nalus, Tilly, and Adira talk about what's next. I think it's kind of, it's not Gallo's humor, but it's like, hey, if we make this, let's focus, let's continue to focus on the positive, courtesy of President Rillick. Uh, for Tilly, she doesn't know. Uh, the shuttle arrives just in time, uh, and it literally is just in time because they launch and the station breaks apart. The pod is getting closer and closer to Discovery. It's going to be back in four, three, get ready to jump, two, one, boom, they do jump, even as debris hits the shuttle. Pete, now I'd like to flash you and all the listeners back to previous seasons on Discovery where I've said, maybe they should have a door on the shuttle bay, and that <laughs> wouldn't have led to sweet Commander Nallis never going back to the fissure of Jorat, all for lack a of a door. force field, too, that's supposed to not allow everything in but only some things culber is in the shuttle bay there calling out for adira and tilly who are safe but nalis where is special guest commander nalis oh he's under debris and the hollow tricorder tell us he's deceased pete i was shocked that all the series regulars were fine, but Nalus is no more. Final tally, three dead, four wounded, with, in a later scene, uh, nine rescued, as President Rillick points out. Uh, Rillick speaks to Burnham privately about the Kobayashi Maru, the concept of it. Uh, Rillick is used to evaluating people on the go, you know, flying dad's uh, cargo runs, uh, and the Kobayashi Maru lesson is all about accepting what you cannot control. Uh, Burnham contrasts that by saying that her goal is to bring everyone home, uh, but Rillick again talks about the balance between all arenas of leadership. Uh, indeed, Rillick is not here to check a box. Instead, Rillick is looking for potential captains of the USS Voyager and its new pathway drive. Pete, this leading perhaps to a Voyager, the next generation if you will, uh, if only in our hearts. Uh, Pete, how does Burnham respond to all of this? I think more so than the idea of being evaluated and shutting down the idea Discovery is her home and she wouldn't leave it even if she was offered that gig. Um, the idea, how am I not ready? Look, look at my body of work. How am I not ready? And really this conversation forms all around the idea. Like I said before that for a first time new president, Rillick seems all too accepting that you're going to lose people. And Burnham is optimistic to a fault. I'm going to save everyone. Something that goes back to her 32nd century Starfleet debrief called pathological need to save everyone here. Side note, Matt, why would the Voyager J not have a proto star engine? <laughs> um, it, it, it's all possible. Uh, Pete, maybe even the Voyager J could have uh, a, uh, a, a hollow helper, maybe get some Janeway back. Um, I do wonder in all seriousness, like, are they, are they setting up, 
more down the, or say more live action in the 32nd century because they seem to be leaning into it here but um but back to the president here um burnham's burnham touts her resume to the president and the president replies that burnham has swings like a pendulum and in these new times a pendulum could also be looked at as a wrecking ball uh and uh, burnham gets told that she has missed the point of the kobayashi maru she needs to play safer and pete just as this uh argument is reaching kind of a bit of a stalemate hey interruption book's ship is here it arrived on autopilot something is wrong yes this pyrrhic victory uh has led to the reunion with book on the bridge says that he saw the stars warped um that Quajon was light years from the station we knew that it was the closest system awoshikun says that there's nothing at Quajon's location uh burnham has her widen the scan and they see something hundreds of thousands of kilometers away it is Quajon. it appears to be on fire and book says they're gone they're all gone Just as we stare at the burning remains of Quay John, Pete, we have this incoming threat analysis here. Uh, shall we start with Emperor Liu of the Alshane? Of course, the monarch here of the moth or butterfly people. Um, the idea that, okay, they're, uh, they're not carnivores. They uh, don't like that book and burnham may have enslaved royalty you know they understand no strings attached but don't understand the expression queen okay whatever and you know what what's the point of this to introduce uh that discovery is going to worlds offering dilithium through through the five months that's happened in between the two seasons and uh you know not everybody's taking them uh you know at, at face value that these strings attached might be asking for things uh, i think we're gonna see emperor liu and the alshane again what with their ability to navigate things using satellites and gravity and geocompensate I appreciate that this uh, particular episode uh, opens with a diplomatic mission to Alshaneron. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it just feels very familiar. It feels great, Pete. Um, do we include President Rillac on this list? I mean, she certainly is in opposition to Burnham. Uh, does she meet the, uh, the, the scan protocol of a threat analysis? The script clearly wants us to note her as an antagonist she is giving burnham good advice though you can't save everybody um it's never been in star trek's philosophy however to accept that you know you go to spock uh the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few but then you know kirk tips that around and the needs of the few 
more than the needs of the many. Um, it's a high ideal, and I think it's it's not uniquely Star Trek, but it is baked into Star Trek. We don't uh, make acceptable losses. I mean, it, it reminds me, you know, you think of Marvel and and Captain America, and and you know, we don't we don't trade lives. So uh, to have her speaking that, it's practical. Um, like I said, I, I think my biggest hang up with the character is this ideal that a, a new president would see things less optimistically, maybe because of the universe view that they're coming into, that they hadn't been in contact for so long. Maybe it's the idea that, all right, we, we can't have our space cake and eat it too. I, I don't know. I'm I'm very interested to see how this character, this Cardassian, Bajoran human hybrid character develops. Next on the list, and presumably a season or an arc threat, is this anomaly. Um, I had joked with you, you know, is this... <laughs> Do we make this as grand as, oh man, it's Romulan cloaking technology powered by Borg stuff and also a crossover from the Kelvin universe? I, I think certainly, um, I mean, certainly it's the big bad of the episode. You can look back and say it's the thing that um, the, the, the incident on the Deep Space Station occurred, what, hours before the speech? Uh, that Burnham gave for Starfleet Academy, and then that takes them to the station, and it impacts Quay John and all of that. So, I don't know any thoughts there, Pete, on this kind of planet killer, this this thing that's the size of a star that brings death to planets. It's interesting that they chose to use the Archer reference in this episode. Okay, as somebody who ultimately helped to found the federation that makes sense okay they even gave you note the end credit music from star trek enterprise uh not that they don't have faith in their hearts that we wouldn't all appreciate the regular credit music just didn't do that but i have a uniquely season three of enterprise vibe to this because what's happening in the next episode titled anomaly they're going into the anomaly the expanse right like it it feels a lot like that yeah and it'll be interesting to discuss both in theories and in subsequent episodes you know the 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 size of the anomaly, the story size of the anomaly, uh, if you will. But Pete, let's circle on back here to Nollis, R.I.P. Nollis, um, who I, I feel like you can see that he's not a cream of the crop officer, which I think is in line with the old Starfleet, the pre uh, Discovery Saves the Day Starfleet, where, you know, he's clearly a capable guy. He's also in a far-off outpost. Indeed, most of Starfleet is in far-off outposts because it's difficult to get from place to place. Um, 
So I think there's a certain there's a certain fallibility to him that also works out well for the story in that he pulls a phaser on another officer uh, and also uh, is dead by the, by the end of the episode. I mean, to use a Top Gunism, he's Cougar. He was holding on too tight. He lost the edge. He pulled a phaser on his rescuers. He got to go. Yeah, that's that's the rules of that's the rules of story, Nalus. That's just that's just how it goes. Sometimes you don't get to continue on and on and on. But Pete, keeping us going on and on and on for these next is it twelve more weeks? Where again, we're assuming Discovery four thirteen is the finale. That's not one hundred percent official, but uh, keeping things going week after week, keeping dilithium in our. Uh, warp drive is everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek yes and as we're hitting late november here the bills coming due for the year so proud to be 100 listener supported so get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek you determine the uh amount of support that you feel the podcast is worth all sorts of levels to pick from. And then you're going to be able to get behind the door that costs you just a dollar a month, all sorts of exclusives. So check it out today. Let's use our long range sensors to scan for some theories. Pete, let's stick with this big bad of the episode, the anomaly. Do you think it remains natural? I did see some chatter online. Oh man, it's coming from an unknown place and it's affecting us all. It is naturally slash science based. It's space COVID. It's the metaphor. It's the thing that we all need to. They've been very clear the producers that all right they they wanted to address as star trek does in a timely way what the world was dealing with as a pandemic hit but obviously the idea and it's funny you know you watch popular culture right now the trope of uh pandemics has nearly been entirely dropped unless they're deciding to go for a real world approach, you know, like a Grey's Anatomy, you know, acknowledges we're in the midst of a, of a pandemic. Um, so it's going to be a long time until you see space flu is back, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I mentioned before, is the anomaly in some way possibly connected to the burn? Is this a, partial continuation of that story think i don't know the big bang um expanding but then eventually contracting um after so many millions billions of years of expansion has it now begun to contract back in um the related chain of events i think it's interesting that quajon is the cost in this episode it's non-committal at the end other than books they're gone they're all gone well if you've seen the little clip from next episode that they put out uh because that was my question at the end is is quajon you know definitively done uh they answer that in that right there um 
so I guess the question to come out of that is did Kaim, did little Lido, you know, get in an escape pod or are they definitively done as well? Um, back to the anomaly that they seem to have suffered their ends from, um, could it be some form of a weapon? Are the 32nd century Klingon or Borg, or you mentioned, you know, Romulan uh, warp drives, what with their gravitational anomaly, um, what what's that? They have a black hole as their their uh, their engine. Um, could it be those? Would it be satisfying? I I think it could. It all depends how it's done. I I think that something that you um, have mentioned a couple of times since last season is this notion of um, Star Trek keeping in mind to occasionally use space as the threat, not just you know a charismatic person doing charismatic things. Uh, and I agree with that sentiment. However, if we're embarking on a season-long thing where it's like, oh man, it's the hole in the ozone. Come back to get us. We need to ozone less, right? We got to reduce the things that make the natural hurt. But wasn't um, that the burn, essentially? Like, well, wasn't I, the burn the payoff of the next generation you know, couple episodes of we're going to do away with dilithium. We're wrecking the ozone layer of the universe. I, I totally agree. And that's why I think um, it's all well and good to say, oh, man, the anomaly in the anomaly may be a unifying thing or a unifying um, or universal crisis. Maybe I, I don't know the covid has brought us all together. Um, uh, but in the notion that it's all just wait until some member worlds, Matt, you know, they get real, uh, well, it's, it's a choice if you want to, um, you know, put up your shields, uh, against it or, you know, my planet, uh, you know, my choice. Um, I think there's a limit to how much you can say, hey, this is a natural phenomenon, in part because we saw that last season with the burn. And fine, it ended up being like, you know, uh, Sukal was the catalyst, but still it was this wholly natural phenomenon. Um, I don't think that you can do that two in a row. It is interesting, Pete, that you referenced, um, you know, the next generation and their kind of fleeting attempt, which very quickly the show walked back once they realized it was it was a difficult story place to say, save the ozone, warp less. And they just really quickly just got rid of it. And there's the vague in-story notion of like, oh, then Voyager had the nacelles that turned out a thing that was never explained why they turned. It just looked cool. Um, that was part of the technology that addressed the thing that we shouldn't have done anyway. We listened to the one writer that was like, save the ozone, and we did an ozone episode, now we don't know what to do with it. Um, but, Pete, for them to be mentioning, essentially, a post-dilithium future, I don't know, does that support the idea that the anomaly is going to push them towards it? Because, again, I don't think from us, I'm not interested to do, you know, 12 episodes on all right, here's the latest from the naturally occurring anomaly. We figured out that it's from the things that we're doing and we need to 
do, you know, we need to have next generation drives and whatnot. Like, it seems like it doesn't all fit together in part because it lacks that human element. And I don't mean human in a Star Trek sense. I mean, human, like to have somebody go, I am Osira, the face of capitalism and slavery and bad. And by the way, when you defeat me, you defeated everybody who's part of Team Osira, uh, which will be satisfying in the season finale. Like, you know, I, I, I think there are story elements at work here that belie the notion that we're going to fight space gravitational COVID and we're going to, through science, you know, defeat it on uh, February 10th when Discovery 413 drops and that'll be it. I, I think there's got to be more to it. You know, were there breadcrumbs in this episode, next generation spore drives? What will be the efficacy of a spore drive within the anomaly? Will it, you know, not be able to be used? Will they not be able to jump in it because it's a moving thing? Uh, you know, this pathway drive that's mentioned is, is there some connection there? We don't know. This is the appetizer here as we start this fourth season, obviously. Um, but I think as a big prevailing mystery, interesting. Um, I, I do think they oversold it a little bit. All right, we saw it hit the station, and yes, at the very end, we find out that it has moved an entire planet. Um, I, I need more. Obviously, more will come in the follow-up episode. Uh, but but I think it's enough at this point. Um, I think interesting, too, so we, in the little mission at the beginning of this season, we get a planet with the Alshane that had its poles move, magnetism, the idea of a gravitational anomaly, and then on Quajon, the birds were uh, spooked by something. Was it the magnetite? Uh, is there some connection there? Uh, briefly mentioned when they arrived at the station, um, Deep Space Beta 6, that they had a uh, very slight magnetization of their hull. Pete, uh, what I'm about to suggest is ingest, uh, but I'm still going to, I'm going to have faith of the heart for it. Okay. All this mentioning of birds and whatnot. Are we going to get our first uh, extended live action uh, footage and presentation of the Aurelians. That's the bird people from the animated series, uh, which also showed up in Lower Decks. Because uh, I'm down for that. You want to do part suit, part CG, or whatever. Because um, as you mentioned, there's a whole lot of bird mentioning going on here. Um, it will be interesting to see how all of this unfolds. I think, I don't doubt that they had a plan while filming, but I think in draft one of this episode, there's, and in a certain sense, with us watching this episode with naked eyes, if we kind of pretend that there's not a plan, it could be, you know, that pretend that it all hasn't been shot and edited and, and whatnot. This really could be, it could be just about anything. It's almost a placeholder for any sort of apparently naturally occurring event 
behind which can be, you know, can be uh, people of one race or another or, you know, a weapon or, or, you know, on and on and on. What about the idea here of what might be a Horda member of the Discovery crew? You know, it's funny. The CG for that creature um, was not perfect. And that's okay in normal times, let alone, you know, some of the some of the digital double effects in this episode, Book and Burnham running on top of the hollow ship, uh, Burnham on top of the escape pod thing. It's not perfect. It's really, really, really good. And again, I think you get, if you say, all right, this is an 89, do I round it up to a 90, to an A, what's the excuse? Well, if the excuse is people are doing effects at home because of COVID and so on and so forth. Uh, or you got the footage, you, you got whatever live action footage delayed because of filming and in COVID protocols. Like, okay, like I'll, I'll round you up to the A. It did make me wonder, Pete, the way she kind of looked. She didn't stumble over it, but the way she kind of looked. Maybe is this footage where she actually did, where Sonika Martin-Green stumbled and kept going because nobody yelled cut and they liked that performance and said, we're going to keep the stumble in there. Uh, we got to put something there, so let's put a little creature going by. Um, I'm not suggesting any deficiency in that moment, just that there might be a, you know, if this was the best take in this, ex, you know, kind of extended walk and talk down the hall and whatnot, if that's the take you want to use and there was a little stumble to begin with, you have a Star Trek answer, which is plop a little guy in there and go, bup, 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 and it's it's of the Star Trek world with all these creatures. Would a science fiction opera uh kill off a character named leto <laughs> pete i feel like just in the last month or two month or two i've seen uh at least one leto killed off and um i just had to chuckle you know uh i wonder if this leto was named after the dune leto if it's a tip of the hat you know on any level writer all the way to final production and whatnot um I appreciate you not tipping your hand as to whatever footage there is for next week. At this current stage, I would say everyone on the planet is gone and dead. However, all it takes is one sentence to say, good news, they escaped just in time. Thus, therefore, um, uh, Leto and Father are, are both alive and back on the storyboard and whatnot. But as of right now, I will say, tear, R.I.P., Leto. Why doesn't Book wear the amulet like Kaim does, like Leto got? We know it's a story for another episode. What do you think the reason is? Was he was he kicked out of the pack? I think it's that he left the pack. I kind of get this sense of um, Book is the priest who was not removed for you know, for scandal or questionable reasons, but instead he found, um, to continue the priest metaphor, not that I think Book is a, you know, a, a monotheist religious kind of guy, but I think the Book found God in another uh, venue other than that of the church. So again, to kind of reinterpret that from Book's perspective, his whole spiritual worldview and whatnot, saving the the creatures of the universe and whatnot, I think that he found another way to express that, which was outside the fraternal order uh, that he that he grew up in. 
I do just wonder too, like any of these properties, certainly Star Trek at the center, they know, hey, it's in everybody's best interest where if you're not going to answer everything right now, if you, if you don't need the line, I left the order of the brothers because I couldn't handle their strict rules. If you just say it's a story for another time, that then leaves open the possibility for the the mission log on Instagram, the novel, the comic, you know, leaves you can leave room in there for these extensions and it's not a deficit to the story. You can have the the, the confidence to say uh we're not going to tell you what that is right now and we're even going to hint since it's a story for another day, we're not even going to make you think it's the mystery of his past. It's just all of these characters have things in their past. And we might tell you a book one one day in, in a variety of different forms. Um, so I guess that's a long way, too, of saying maybe they don't maybe they don't have an answer as they've written it, as they've gotten done with the season. Maybe they still don't have an answer because they're like, and Kristen Byer is going to take that to the book people and deal with that in the extended Star Trek universe of publishing, etc. Will Gray's corporeal body come as a result of this season-long adventure they're going on, or will it merely be a development along the way? I would appreciate it if it's a development along the way. I get that uh, the USS Discovery, much like enterprises prior to it i get that discovery is at the center of not just their own story but like the most important events in the federation 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 and i think sometimes people look if you grew up on the single episodes um the standalone episodes of whatever star trek you're kind of used to mission of the week and you might forget that you know it's Voyager versus the Borg in the continuing Borg storyline or, you know, uh, the Enterprise also against the Borg. My point being, you know, Deep Space Nine that's in the middle of nowhere also is going to, you know, the Dominion War and when Earth gets attacked and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So all of these shows, you know, end up at the center of the most important news events and life events and historical events. I don't know, though, that everything needs to be tied to that episode or pardon me, that season four uh, most important event in our lives. How about just a subplot of using the science or maybe along the way you go, Ooh, you know, much like season, was that season two? Like, Ooh, look, we got the, um, uh, we got the asteroid thing that's really magnetized and really, uh, heavy. Ooh, that's going to help fuel us later on. And Ooh, we had this experience. That's going to help. I'd much rather have that where you learn along the way. And we know from the writing room that they're actually building towards the gray, uh, solution, but I don't know that it needs to be, and because of graviton ball synthesoid power, that also is going to give us a gravitoid body synthesoid thing for Gray. Did the Lurian crew member of Deep Space Beta Six survive, or must we mourn it? Pete, look, we know you can't keep a good Lurian down. Um, I, I say he lives, he lives, Pete. Um, and also gives us an opportunity later on to reuse the mask and be like, hey, it's that it, it's that guy. It's Gib Gob. Remember when we saved him from the Deep Space Day Station? What's up, Gib Gob? Oh, I can't talk anymore now. Boy, that Gib Gob, he can talk your ear off. Did the Kobayashi Maru exist when Burnham and the rest of Discovery was in Starfleet Academy? 
we know from the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek and the seeming divergence of that alternate universe that Spock programmed the Kobayashi Maru that Kirk then changed. But we also know that Kirk changed the conditions of the test in the regular universe. So did Burnham, did command officers on Discovery take the Kobayashi Maru? Or has it merely been a, oh, the Kobayashi Maru, that was a thing that my brother eventually created, you know, the thing I never took, although she seems to have taken it. Yeah, I think that I think that we can imagine um we can imagine given as how relatively close in age Burnham and Kirk are, you know, Kirk's roughly a lieutenant, I believe, in the first season of Discovery. So, if he if he fiddled with it, and I don't have the chronology in front of me, but if he fiddled with it, six eight years prior when he was uh a freshman at starfleet academy question mark you know somewhere in that neighborhood could it have been around for 10 or 15 years prior if so that's more than enough time for burnham to have made her way on through i think too if we if we incorporate some of the scant (laughs) uh, no clothing uh pun intended but some of the scant um evidence from next generation in terms of you know wesley's kobayashi maru-esque entrance thing where he has to save a guy i think that the kobayashi maru test probably um it's probably not always saving the actual ship from the neutral zone i think it's just become the lexicon of one day in starfleet academy somebody says oh man come with me and you're thrown into a thing you're thrown into this crisis and you kind of don't know if it's true or not and then when you fail they're like, surprise, that was your Kobayashi Maru. This you time got was... Kobayashi Maru'd. That's right. You had to save a friend from a pit of spiders, and you're still here. Uh, good luck sleeping. Um, see, I think it's reasonable. I think it's reasonable to assume that it predates um, when we see it in Star Trek II, when we see it conjecturally. I mean, no, we see it in the jj star trek but when we can conjecture that for the prime timeline i think it's one of those things that's been around for forever in one form or another uh pete speaking of forms okay uh, a, a fairly serious question here i'm truly not trying to be flippant the notion here that president Rillick very much appears to have multiple heritages um i'm going to assume half cardassian half uh half human um well, first of all, Bajoran. I, see, I didn't pick up the nose as much. I was looking for it, but if, if there's some Bajoran in there, I mean, that's that's great as well. First of all, do you think the show is trying to subtly reference any any Earther leaders of multiple backgrounds? And more generally, I just want to point out it's it's so easy in Star Trek to be like. Pig mask means you are from pig mask people, and blue may you know means you're from the blue people. We tend not to get people with multiple heritages. I mean, we we've had some Blana Taurus, but we tend not to get that, and that's another great way to show representation as well. Yeah, and and what the diversity means towards the mission, the ability to look into different backgrounds and the way that they've attacked problems in the past. So 
clearly it's story and character dependent. This is a character we're going to see throughout the season. And uh, yeah, want to see how they go about it. Last one here from me, Pete. The inclusion of Lieutenant Christopher was interesting because we get confirmation that he's a temp for Bryce, but we also get confirmation that Bryce is still around. Any thoughts there in terms of is this introducing them a character? Is the Bryce actor maybe not available because of another project for the beginning? So they have a temporary guy, but he's coming back a la uh, Arium. You know, any, any thoughts there on like, you didn't need Lieutenant Christopher, but you had him. You also had Bryce. I'm not saying I have a problem with any of it. You want to add another, another person, another guy, another whatever. Uh, you know, he's got a handsome mustache and all that. That's all fine, but it just seemed like you didn't need to do it. So what's up with that? Did COVID in some way impact, hey, we couldn't get this guy here, didn't clear protocol or whatever. We we don't know. Is this just a, hey, let's get a, we're in the 32nd century and other than Adira, can we show that other people have been picked up along the way or transferred it's been five months it's unrealistic to think and the discovery crew has remained untouched um so yeah to to think that there you know could be more coming there in terms of explanation let's see what they got with that let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir pete we start with our twitter poll uh and again if you haven't joined us dear listener if you haven't joined us uh since discovery last season Kind of moved away from a four three two one for Star Trek because there's those people who like to look for hashtag Star Trek and downvote it and then leave no comment to say I was uh, uncompelled by the characterization this episode and I found the effects poor. You know they have no justification. Um, so here were the choices, Pete, uh, and I did get I got a little sneaky for people who saw it. I got a little sneaky here. So some Earth term right because that's the S word. A five percent. Ranking up got five percent. Such gravity. With a wave emoji. Do you get a Pete? It's a gravity wave. Got 35%. Uh, and then explosive got 55%. Um, we heard from some listeners. First up, James the Sagacious. It's at Big Killin on Twitter. Who says, off to a good start. The pacing seemed a bit off balance. But they covered a lot of ground. We have a big bad gravity monster. Uh, and some tension with the new president. It's great seeing the crew in action. Uh, also... James asks, will we hear from uh, at petrified underscore Fred, Pete, that, of course, uh, Admiral Fred from the Netherlands, uh, any Pete, will we hear from him this episode? Unfortunately, we have not. Uh, Pete, we will keep our listening post open for any any logs from the Admiral. Uh, we heard also from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo 1983. Uh, OK, they didn't waste any time getting into the action. They pretty much reintroduced the entire crew and got us in the season arc. Glad Star Trek Discovery is back. They even showed us what Saru has been up to. And Pete, that's a reminder uh, there from Andre that Discovery has a habit of not necessarily doing a re-pilot to start the season, but I think that somebody, somebody at Star Trek HQ has said, what if the first episode of discovery that someone watches is the season premiere of this the new season can we hook them in and then then get them excited not a lot of other shows do that credit to discovery that they do 
Next one up here is from Stingray. That's at Trek Girl 88. I love this show so much. Uh, I was all in from the first episode, and each season has just gotten better and better. Can't wait to see what's in store this season. Uh, and we heard from Spider Ham Lincoln. That's at Tess LC 139. Uh, quick hits. Cool opening scene with butterfly albino people. Captain Burnham is happy and relaxed in her new role. Nice to see Saru and baby Saru again. <laughs> well done, Spider-Ham Lincoln. Uh, Half-human, half-Cardassian Federation president, Starfleet Academy, and the new Archer space dock, Lieutenant Tilly. Uh, more Detmer and Owo, please. And Sintal. Uh, exciting rescue mission. Burnham is no wrecking ball. Great episode. Looking forward to where this season will take us. Pete, let me build on something that Spider-Ham Lincoln said. Can we get a Star Trek short trek with Detmer and Owo? If you don't have the ability in an episode like this to give them more screen time, uh, how about Detmer and Owo have a holodeck adventure? Or there they are playing tennis? Or there they are kickboxing? Or just something to give them a talky-talk scene because they're great characters? The adventure into this unknown anomaly, I think, presents untold opportunity for our crew to further be fleshed out so forget the side mission thing they haven't done in a while let's let's get it in the main mission pete as we embark on this fourth season of star trek discovery how can people be in touch with you on twitter you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j katelar k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 12,147 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter's looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek all one word with the p and the h like it today well for those listening on the pop culture podcast feed uh we got some stuff before discovery 402 which is to say the first two episodes of Hawkeye that'll be uh the first one will be podcast this upcoming Wednesday the 24th Hawkeye 102 will settle into our Marvel Saturdays on uh, the 27th uh and then of course we're back here next Sunday for Star Trek Sunday Discovery 402 uh with that Pete I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word ready to stop talking now